The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. I am very glad that you're listening. We've got a great program for you today, as always, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it and learn some things and uh, open your mind and heart and find some new depths of understanding of your life and your higher power and what all is possible in this great adventure of recovery. I want to thank you also for uh, liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. Thank you so much. It's great getting those likes. Thank you for commenting and our posting on our wall. And thanks also for letting me know via your emails what's happening to you and for you and through you in your recovery walk. And thank you for participating with us here on Spirit of Recovery. I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community and all your other uh, spiritual communities, your family, your friends, know about us here on Spirit of Recovery, right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And it is great to be uh, broadcasting on the topic of spirituality and recovery here. And I'm glad to know that what we're doing here is making a difference for you in your life, in your recovery, that it's touching your heart and opening your mind. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative People who are in recovery themselves or or who work with or write for recovering people, sometimes all of the above, and my guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can obviously listen live via your computer, via your smartphone. You can also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. And also, you can listen on demand. We've got uh, several years' worth of great archives um, on UnityOnlineRadio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. And you can listen uh, whenever you want. And you've got lots of great topics, lots of great guests. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. So if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of someone who has the disease of addiction, um, maybe as a family member or friend, you're also are in your own recovery as a family member or friend because family members and friends can also have, do have recovery programs and can also be in recovery in that way. Or maybe you're just curious about, uh, recovery, curious about addiction and spirituality, whatever your situation, we're really glad that you're here, you're welcome, and you can um, email in or call in a comment or question for my guests on the topic of the day if you would like to. We welcome your participation in our discussions. 
Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. And also this month of May, I am celebrating 35 years um, ago that those relationships, uh, the people in my life who are uh, have the disease of addiction, those relationships were catalysts 35 years ago that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful. And my walk continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that transforms my life, and it keeps me growing in deeper ways. So um, I am delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring you these wonderful guests that are so generous and uh, share so willingly from the work that they do and um, help all of us to understand ourselves in deeper ways and to have new ideas about this recovery process. Our topic today is addicted to love. There is a solution. And, um, you know, addiction is a disease. It's not a disgrace. And addiction takes a lot of different forms. And there, uh, today my guest is Bridget Wilson. Bridget is the founder of Solutions Auckland. And yes, that is Auckland, New Zealand. So she is speaking with us today from New Zealand. And it is nine o'clock in the morning for her. So we're grateful that she's willing to do this so early in the day for her. It's a nine o'clock on the Wednesday morning for her. So, um, Bridget specializes in treating people with sex and love addiction. She also works and supports people in recovery from all kinds of um, drug or other alcohol or other drug addiction. And she's going to be sharing with us today um, a lot about uh, this specialty that sh- uh, she has in working with people that is sex and love addiction. There's uh, current research that strongly suggests that sexual or love addiction not only exists um, as an actual addiction, but in fact it manifests in the brain and in behavior in ways that are very similar to other more uh, recognized forms of addiction like alcoholism. And um, Bridget studied at the prestigious Hazelden Graduate School of Addiction Studies in Minnesota, and she and I were classmates um, about eight years ago. That's hard to believe. Um, and um, so she is uh, certainly a friend and someone that I really respect and um, just appreciate the work that she does in, um, in all the work that she's doing in supporting people in recovery. Bridget uh, is registered with the New Zealand Addiction Practitioners Association, and she's also an author. She um, was a journalist for many years before she became an addictions counselor, and she's just completed a book. The novel is called Addicted to Love, and it's an inside, thought-provoking look at sex and love addiction, and um, it really shows what this addiction is, and it shows what's um, what this possible possibilities are for a solution. You can learn more about Bridget's work if you go to www.solutionsauckland, and that's A-U-C-K-L-A-N-D dot com. So, Bridget, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Lovely to hear your voice again, and congratulations to you on your 35 years. My gosh, that's so inspiring, and, and, and so your message of recovery to your listeners is, is extremely valuable, and I, I really honor you as a, as a very good friend and a, and a wonderful classmate. You know, I've still got some of your notes, and um, I w- remember when the exams were coming up, and I've got a little file on my computer that says Anna's notes on, I can't remember the subject now, but they were really helpful to me when the exams came around. So I have a lot to be grateful to you for as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope it wasn't notes on statistics. That's not, <laughs> that's not my strong suit. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your yeah. voice. So tell I, us. I hope your listeners can understand my weird Kiwi accent. So I'll try to um, be as clear as I can. I know that in Texas, people speak very slowly. And uh, I did spend a bit of time there myself back in the 90s when the uh, Waco siege was on. So I, I went into Waco, Texas and um, as a journalist, and so I know the lay of the land a little. It's very flat, I remember. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> You're up there in the flat part. Yeah. <laughs> I bet, yeah, you have a beautiful accent, and I, I know we, everybody will be able to understand you. 
Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what um, love and sex addiction is. Well. And and isn't. Okay. So, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a tricky one, you see, because with um, alcohol and other drugs, these are external um, uh, chemicals that can relatively easily, although some would, you know, disagree with me, but, but these, these chemicals can be put aside. It's very easy to... Um, Put down the drink. I mean, I, I, I say that lightly. It's not for some people. It's very difficult. But for the sex and love addicts, um, they carry these chemicals around in the, in the brain. So those chemicals that make us feel good, like serotonin and dopamine, are there just ready waiting to go. So when a, a sex or love addict uh, sees something that is triggering, and, um, you know, for men that could be simply a girl walking by with a short skirt. And so this can be extremely triggering for people with this particular branch of the addictive disease. And so those chemicals in the brain are just sitting there ready waiting to go. And uh, so that's the hard part. It's very... Um, it's very difficult to, as with alcohol or other drugs, just put it down. You can't because it's there really in your brain. And so uh, it's a tricky one to treat. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, go to a conference in New York a few years ago where I met um, some very learned people uh, who had been tr- treating this branch of the addictive disease for a very long time. And, and one or two of them would say things like, well, if you're an alcoholic, you're a sex and love addict. I'm not sure that I would say that 100% of alcoholics are sex and love addicts, but my goodness, there's an awful lot of untreated sex and love addiction out there in the rooms of AA and ENA. So it's a very subtle disease. It's kind of tucked away and... Um, so people don't, it's not an easy one for people to, um, to understand about themselves. So, so that's part of the problem. If, if you think about, you know, how an alcoholic, uh, has a sense of denial, my drinking's not so bad, he or she will say. Well, a sex addict goes, what are you talking about? You see, it can be that, um, simple and that hidden and the person can be in so much denial that they don't even know that their behavior is, is anything that's problematic. I think it's getting a lot more recognition in the States um, because you guys have been doing treatment for a lot longer than we have in New Zealand. So I find when I speak about it down under around, you know, here, it's 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 a difficult subject to broach. For instance, I wanted to put a, an ad in a paper the other day in a magazine to advertise this, my new business that I'm starting up, and I wanted to use the word sex and porn in these ads, and the, and the advertising people came back and they said to me, you can't use those words in ads in our magazine. Can you believe that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I had to get a little stringent and I wrote back and I said, you know, this is part of the problem. We don't talk about this kind of stuff and uh, it's really important that we do. So eventually they, they let me they let me and the and the ads appeared and you know I haven't had a single call and that makes me a little bit sad because I just know that there are there are a lot of people out there who could really do with some insight into sex and love addiction it can really turn a person's life upside down as the protagonist in my book finds out yeah tell us I, well, let me say this, and then I want to ask you to tell us some about your book. Um, one thing that it seems to me that only one, there are many reasons why I think it's it's a hidden addiction, but one is because I think, at least in popular culture, it gets mixed up at, and kind of is portrayed as almost a way you make relationships or as romance or as... Um, you know, as ha- it, it gets all mixed up with, with actual 
real relationships. And so I think it's there are a lot of confusing messages, I think. There are. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I think Hollywood is, has a bit to... Um, to take account of here because you think about the duration you've got to tell a story in a film and it's about an hour and 20 minutes roughly and so that doesn't give enough time for the guy and the girl to go through all the uh, different permutations of dating and getting to know one another. They basically hook up in the first scene and then, um, you know, by the third scene, they're, they're doing the kind of things that um, somebody with a more measured point of view would be waiting to do for maybe six months, like, um, you know, getting into bed. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there are many messages that are, um, that, that young people are getting that are, erroneous. So when a kid um, meets another kid and they think, oh, yep, I like this guy uh, and it's all on. So there's no time for that getting to know you business. And um, so, yeah, I think Hollywood can take a bit of um, blame for some of this because popular culture is extremely informing. You know, kids learn from what they see in movies and on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. And, and so when they're getting these messages that, um, that it's, it's cool to hook up, then uh, that can really feed the, um, the addict brain. So the other thing that I'm really concerned about is the, the apps, the phone apps that um, people can get that are free. And you know that pornography is, um, or sex anyway, is something like the biggest consumer of the Internet. The -hmm. drop-down menu, for instance, was invented to hide the searches. So so pornography and the Internet have been going hand-in-hand for a very long time. And when I was at that conference in New York in 2013, um, I would hear about people who presented for treatment in the States, young men, 24, 26, who were unable to make any kind of connection with their families or with anybody else because um, they'd been accessing hardcore pornography for half their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, this has, a, uh, on a young brain, it can be extremely affecting. So, um, yeah, I do worry about the amount of easily accessible pornography because um, the younger the brain, if you remember from our lectures, the younger the brain is, is exposed to any kind of mood-altering substance, the, the more affected that brain's going to be. So, you know, the brain doesn't mature uh, until we're in our mid-20s. And um, so, you know, if a kid is accessing hardcore pornography and, and the brain's being flooded by dopamine and serotonin at a very young age, then, you know, it's going to arrest development. So, so hence the, the type of person like that young guy I was talking about presenting for treatment at 26 and not being able to form any sort of relationships at all because his brain had been hijacked by porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I do remember that, you know, that about the, as you say in our lectures in school about um, the younger, the brain when you start using and then you know mostly we were of course talking about chemical substances and who would have thought i mean that i would have never dawned on me that in terms of behavioral addictions you know like the sex and love addiction that the same thing is true that it's about the flooding of the brain you know the chemicals it's about the brain being flooded by its own chemicals that's what really hijacks the brain yeah i wouldn't have thought of that exactly and 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 those chemicals are you know right on tap, they're right there, and um, and so that's the that's one of the difficulties that I find in treating people with sex and love addiction because they're carrying around their substance of choice in their brain, and um, and and you know that's hard to put down. There are a lot of 
when we talk about behavioural uh, addictions or process addictions like gambling, mm-hmm. like shopping, like sex and love addiction, they're very tricky to to treat because those neural pathways in the brain have been um, formed and are keeping on being um, fed and informed um, constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. It's time for our first break. We'll take a break and then we'll be back and we'll um, talk about Bridget's novel and how she came to write it and what it can reveal to us about addiction and about the solution. Our topic today is Addicted to Love. There is a solution and my guest is Bridget Wilson who is the founder of Solutions Auckland. We'll be right back. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. My guest today is Bridget Wilson, and we're talking about addicted to love. There is a solution. We're talking about the idea of, you know, addiction certainly is a disease. It's not a disgrace. And we're talking about um, the current research that strongly suggests that sexual or love addiction is not only exists, but it, in fact, manifests in the brain and in behavior in very similar ways to other more recognized forms of addiction such as alcoholism and uh, my guest Bridget Wilson is the founder of Solutions Auckland A-U-C-K-L-A-N-D and that is Auckland New Zealand and she's speaking to us today from New Zealand and she uh, works with people to recover from uh, alcohol and all drug addictions and specializes in treating people with sex and love addiction she studied at the prestigious Hazelden Graduate School of Addiction Studies in Minnesota and is one of my classmates. We were classmates together at that time and she is registered with the New Zealand Addiction Practitioners Association and she's also the author of the novel Addicted to Love which is an insider's thought-provoking look at sex and love addiction and um, that's available as an ebook on Amazon, and you can learn more about Bridget's work at www.solutionsauckland.com, and that's A-U-C-K-L-A-N-D. Before I get back to my conversation with Bridget, I invite you to join me in a brief moment of meditation to make connection with your higher power as you understand your higher power. So I invite you to relax, to be aware of your breath and allow your body temple to relax, feeling relaxation as it moves from the crown of your head all the way through your face and neck and shoulders and arms and hands and the trunk of your body and feel relaxation going all the way through your legs and feet. And as your body relaxes, allow your mind to relax and share with me this constructive idea. My higher power guides me to healthy relationships with not only myself and but with all the people in my life my higher power guides me to a healthy relationship with myself and healthy relationships with all the people in my life and now we take a moment in the quiet
thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that that was an opportunity for you to make that conscious contact with your higher power and um, make that understanding of that love that's there within you and all around you. So now I'm back to my conversation with Bridget and talking about Addicted to Love, There is a Solution. So, Bridget, we know that your uh, career before you became an addictions counselor is that you were a journalist for many years, and so you are a writer, and um, you have just completed your second novel, and it was uh, published a few months ago. Um, The title of it is Addicted to Love. Tell us a little bit about that. Why did you write this, and um, what's the premise? And uh, Go ahead. Well, I was... As you said correctly, I was a journalist, and then I retrained um, as an addictions counsellor. So I got sober myself um, in 2006, and and two years to the day, um, I was accepted into the uh, School of Addiction Studies at Hazelden in Minnesota, where I met you. And um, what a great year that was. I learned so much, and I thought, wow, you know, I really, I thought journalism was pretty interesting, but this is fascinating, and it still fascinates me, and I'm still hungry for knowledge, and I love learning and, and wrapping my brain around new concepts because this is a disease of the brain, after all. And now that I've got a, a fully functioning brain, I love using it, and I also missed writing, so... Um, I was, I was, I wasn't even really consciously aware of this. I mean, I, I have to write notes in my practice, but um, I did miss that idea of writing um, something that that people would might want to read. And so, I uh, a friend of mine was getting up a publishing house, and I'd worked with him at uh, the Sydney Morning Herald in the eighties when. We were both um, journalists, and he said, have you got something for me? And I thought, uh, yeah, I think I could knock something out. So I, I gave him a little, it was, it's actually a novelette called Attack at the Dolphin, which um, was based on um, Sydney around in the 90s. And um, so it, I, I got enthused about writing again from that because... You know, I realized how much I missed that process, that creative process. I think as a journalist, I always underestimated my um, ability to be creative. All all the other people in my family are all artists, and I thought, well, they're the creative ones. I just, you know, write stuff. And I ended up being what you call a sub-editor. And so my um, job was to write headlines and to design pages in a newspaper and and uh, I mean, it was interesting, and I and I really enjoyed it. But then, getting sober, this this new life um, began to unfold, and I I began to grasp the concept of having a higher power, and that actually my higher power was in control and not me. So, so then I started looking for these, you know, little higher power bits of direction and so when the direction nudged me in the in the direction of um, Minnesota I thought okay I I can do this and I was a little afraid because you know I didn't um, have much money and I'd never been to Minnesota before I heard it was very (laughs) cold in the winter <laughs> Which it is. <laughs> it, it certainly was. There was one day I remember, and it was about thirty below, and um, I'd never experienced that kind of those kind of temperatures. So you know, I just had to rug up a lot and and you know be brave because it actually was so cold it would hurt. My face would ache. Anyway, I digress. So. So getting into into the writing business again was was so encouraging, and the fact I mean I had heard that people you know often struggled to get their first book published, and here was an old friend of mine saying, "Give me a book to publish," and I thought, "Okay, God, I'll go with this." And um, so I wrote this that little book, and then 
I was I was working up in Thailand. I um, somehow found myself in northern Thailand working at a treatment center, and I didn't know anyone, so I was pretty lonely. And so my weekends were all about writing, and it was the perfect place. I was um, just so blessed that I was given this opportunity, and and. Um, you know, a beautiful part of the world. I, I did a bit of travelling as well, so I saw a fair bit of northern Thailand and went over into Laos and um, Burma. And um, and so was writing this book, and it, really over a period of about 10 years I'd been sort of tapping away at it. And um, then I came home and I thought, I'll, um, I'll tr- give this a whirl uh, with self-publishing and Amazon make it so easy for you these days you basically upload a document and press publish you have to give them a few details like your tax um, number and stuff like that so that um, you know you don't get away with anything but um, all of a sudden there's this book out there and um, I was kind of you know chuffed and it was it was a bit of a thrill to think that you know I could I could bring all this together from um, some you know years of research. I think this this area of sex and love addiction is such a such an interesting area because it's not really not a lot is known about it. And and as a journalist, I I used to really enjoy researching. That was the fun part of the job finding out about things and and with the advent of the internet um, it made you know the research side of things a whole lot easier back in the day you know I'd have to go off to libraries or you know ring people and have long conversations over the telephone but there is a lot of information around if you can if you can um, you know have the time to go looking for it so I found myself writing um, a story about a girl who uh, is a sex and love addict, and um, and the the what this does for her or to her, how um, her life becomes absolutely topsy turvy because she keeps falling in love with the wrong men, and one in particular who actually. Um, Hails from Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. It's from Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You, you, oh, so you were able to have a, a yeah. read of it. I'm glad. Good. Yeah, I was able to download it finally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Because I don't have a Kindle, but I, yeah, I was able to down, get the app and download it on my computer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm yep. glad. And, mm-hmm. and did you enjoy reading it, Anna? I did. Yes, I did. I did, and I, you know, I could really see—you could see the addiction unfolding. You could see the progression of the ah. addiction. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you see, that's you with your um, clever and highly trained eye. My hope is that um, someone might read it and go, "Oh, that's what happens to me. I um, fall in love with the wrong men, or or unavailable men, or men who live." halfway across the world. And you know, a lot of that goes on. At one stage, um, a few years ago, I thought I might um, try uh, dating myself. And so um, I hooked up to a website that um, that uh, you had to pay some money and, and then you do a whole profile. Um, you know, I thought that might be helpful if, if somebody knew my psychological profile. Well, they kept giving me uh, matches, but they were in other parts of the world. There was, you know, a couple of the closest I think they came with Canberra, which is across the Tasman in Australia. And um, <laughs> so I wrote to these people and I said, "Look, rule number one for dating is that the person needs to be in the." in the same town, and they went, oh, no, 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 people hook up all over the world. And I'm thinking, yeah, and that actually leads to a lot of trouble. So anyway, this... Right, this, and what's the trouble? With, tell, tell us some more about what, what you mean with, I quote, the wrong man, or what? why is that trouble when um, people, when it's people that aren't really in your 
physical space? What's how well, does that create av- problems? They're not available, mm-hmm. and and so unavailability comes in many many shapes and sizes, but. Um, that's why rule number one must be that we date people in in our own town because they're available, they're there. Um, and, and I think that um, one of the basic premises of sex and love addiction is that um, often the uh, the one we try to hook up with is unavailable. Um, what the addict uh, wants and craves is intimacy, but the paradox is that the addict is also afraid of intimacy. So, so that creates a, a real conflict. It's that it's a, it creates a push me pull you kind of scenario where, um, on the one hand. The addict will will really want to be with somebody, but on the other, they're afraid of it because the fear of intimacy is um, is huge. So that's worth a whole book on, on its own. Um, and it took me many years of research to figure that one out. But I think that many, uh, and in my work with um, people recovering from alcohol and other drugs, um, I. I often posit this question and I run a group with um, some women once a week and we often end up talking about relationships and when I talk about that paradox where, where you know, a tra- where um, we really want to have a relationship but we're afraid of it, I see a lot of knowing glances go on around the room. So it's a it's a real tricky one, and actually there was a book I think I read um, I think I read it years ago, and it was called something like How to Spot an Unavailable Man Before You Get Involved. That's not the exact title, but you get the gist of it from the title, and um, and and it lists the types of unavailable men or or you know people, and and addicts. Is, are one of those one of those um, types. So um, another one is criminality, and and you know quite often women will be attracted to those those bad boys. So so there's another example of an unavailable man because um, usually the relationship falls apart. Um, when he becomes unavailable on 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 many different levels, being in jail is one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and a person in in the addictive process, as you know, is is not available. So um, being emotionally unavailable is is uh, often the case with somebody who's in active addiction, and yet. You know, especially women who have alcoholic fathers will often be attracted to alcoholic lovers. And um, so, you know, the cycle keeps being perpetuated. My hope is that, um, you know, even though this is a novel, um, there will there is a ring of truth to it. And so oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah. So my hope is that, that women especially might relate to the protagonist comfort, her name is, and, and think, ah, yes, that's what happens to me, so maybe there is a solution, maybe I can get help and change that, that kind of behavior. It can be very destructive. Right. I don't want to give away your novel, so we'll, I won't... <laughs> I won't ask you what happened to comfort, although I know. But what are some of the what are some of the solutions that you use with people when you're working with them, basically with uh, drug and alcohol addiction, overcoming that, um, and and sex and love addiction? What are some of the routes out? Well, I'm um, a great believer in the twelve steps, and so. Um, I think the wisdom that's embodied in those 12 steps is um, extremely powerful. And um, so I'm, I'm a great proponent of the steps. And um, the abstinent approach. In New Zealand, um, most of the um, treatment is through harm minimization. 
but the, I work for an outfit that is all about abstinence, and in my private practice, I am about abstinence. So if you, if you think about the parallel, what happens with an alcoholic when he or she wants to quit, uh, we say, okay, so if you're going to put down the drink, that's going to leave a void in your life. You imagine what was taken up, all the time that was taken up drinking, recovering from the effects of, of alcohol, the trouble that it caused in your life. You take alcohol away, what you've got left is a, is a big hole in your life. So the idea is to fill that hole with recovery actions, recovery work. So that's where I like that expression, being in recovery. So when we do that, we work the 12 steps. We call our sponsor. We talk to our sponsor. We attend meetings. We read the literature. There's so much good literature out there about the steps and and recovery in general. And so the same applies for sex and love addiction. So when... Um, a client is ready and, 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 it, and it does take a little longer treating people with sex and love addiction. One of the things that I learned at that conference in New York was that uh, it's about a, a minimum of two years to start making any real progress. But when the person's ready, I would um, suggest that they do a, a withdrawal. And so that's about making a time, um, usually about 90 days, of abstaining from all um, acting out behavior. So that may be, um, say it's a, a man with a, a pornography addiction, he will enter into a contract and the contract is that he's going to put a block on his internet and um, stop accessing porn sites. And um, so he will set bottom lines, which are all about uh, what is achievable for me. Can I, um, for instance, stop um, looking at any pornographic images? Yes, no. So, so it's a very um, it's a very individual approach. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that we can't do cookie-cutter treatment. It, it's very much um, an individual treatment program that I have to figure out with that person. So, but abstinence is the bottom line, and, and that period of withdrawal, um, and if you remember, comfort does a, a, a withdrawal mm -hmm. in the book, and yes. it's painful. It's, mm -hmm. it's extremely painful. I mean, you hear how... Um, Heroin addicts, if you read any kind of books like Train Spotting or any literature at all about how people with opioid addiction um, withdraw and the pain that's involved, it's, it's pretty similar. It's a visceral response. The body um, really and the brain really don't want to stop that behavior, whether it be contact with the, um, the one the object of her obsession or whether it be, um, you know, any sort of lit reading, any kind of literature or compulsive masturbation, anything that's going to get those neural tr neurotransmitters up and running again, it, that goes on your list of bottom lines. And so adhering to those bottom lines for a period of 90 days can be extremely difficult. So, and I've talked to people who have done it, and they say it's one of the hardest things they've done in their lives. So, but it's also worth it. Um, so, a, a certain sort of calm comes upon them. Uh, and I know someone at the moment who's going through this, and it's and she feels very serene. So, it's about um, allowing the brain to settle back. Oh, excuse the fire engine. Um, allowing the brain to become clean again so that it's not producing those massive doses of serotonin and dopamine. It's able to um, operate on a very even keel. And so people often report uh, a great calmness comes upon them when they're withdrawing from sex and love addiction. Mm -hmm. 
What's the, well, I got two questions. One is I, I believe that there are 12 step groups specifically for sex and love addiction. Maybe you could talk about that and also kind of what's the ultimate goal. I don't, it's not to never have a relationship again or never to have a, a sexual relationship again, right? So share with us a little bit about the, the 12 step groups and also kind of what's the ultimate goal for somebody in recovery from sex and love addiction. Okay. So, Yes, there are 12-step groups. Um, I mean, they're easily found by just Googling sex and love addiction, I don't know, 12-step groups. But there's SLAA, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. There is um, SA, Sexaholics Anonymous. There there are various um, permutations of the fellowships that are about their mutual support groups for people who are in recovery from sex and love addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they they work the steps in the same way as an alcoholic works the 12 steps of AA. So um, very helpful, very supportive fellowships. Um, Very, um, and they're all over the world. Um, so I don't know where you're listening. Well, I imagine they're mainly in the States, but... Um, yep. We have some international listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, um, good. Mm-hmm. So yep. SLAA mm-hmm. has grown like Topsy, just like uh, AA, and so it, it, it is everywhere. So, And there's also a, um, a list of very good questions on the slaa.org website, and I think they're based in Texas as well. Um, and and those 40 questions of uh, extremely helpful tool for self-diagnosis. So, um, they're, they're, if, I mean, the same thing, you can Google SLAA 40 questions and, and, and figure it out for yourself. And actually, self-diagnosis is, I believe, the most powerful way of recognizing um, this, this particular problem. So, I mean, it's easy to diagnose um, from a practitioner's point of view, from my point of view, but I think it's a more powerful process when the person does it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose the ultimate goal is to change behavior in the same way that an alcoholic wants to change his or her behavior in, with drinking. Um, a, a person who recovers from sex and love addiction will choose their own way out. So it's about saying what behavior is not serving me. So for the porn addict, it could be isolation. You know, some, sometimes it's such a powerful, has such a powerful hold on a person that they will isolate and become quite um, locked away, and and that's very um, uh, it's very powerful. It can it can really cut a person off from their family, their friends, um, and there's so much porn available on the internet these days that um, you know that that person doesn't have to leave the house, doesn't have to leave their room, and so. Um, I saw a fascinating documentary um, based in China where um, these kids were um, becoming so isolated that their parents had to drag them kicking and screaming off to a real boot camp type of um, treatment place. And and these little darlings were, you know, the, the single single kids because China has that policy of, of, you know, one child per marriage and so so they were becoming very, very lonely and very isolated and um, I think the, the main problem was, was gaming um, but I my suspicion is that there'd be a fair bit of porn mixed in with that as well so, so these, these little kids were taken off to a a treatment center which could only be described as boot camp. My gosh, they they do it hard in treatment in China. So so yeah, getting back to the question, I think that the the outcome, a desired outcome, is just changing behaviour. So um, for the um, the guy who uh, is addicted to compulsive masturbation using hardcore pornography, he's going to want to stop that. And maybe re regain his um, relationship with his wife or 
um, his family and friends because um, if a person is embroiled in that sort of addiction, he's not going to be available to anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. So it sounds like it's really about people being in the antidote or the solution is really about being in real relationships, which you were talking earlier about the fear of of real intimacy. I, you know mm. that it, it's yeah, it's it's always vulnerable. You know, to be in relationships, you got to you have conflicts. You have to talk to people. It's not not easy. Is that that's right? But that's and the I antidote, that, I guess. Yeah, the, the the human spirit <laughs> craves connection, and so I think what happens to the to the porn addict is that they lose that connection. And you're right; intimacy can be scary for people who uh, have been hurt. So um, while we crave intimacy, we're also afraid of it because our experience is um, that getting too close to somebody is going to uh, create more hurt. So from a self-protection point of view, the addict will put up all sorts of defenses and and therein lies the problem. And um, I think so comfort in, in the book is... Um, is terrified that if you know she becomes involved with this guy, that he's going to um, you know want some sort of proximity intimacy, and um, so yeah, it brings up all sorts of conundrums. So the fear of intimacy absolutely will will drive the the sex and love addict often in the opposite direction to the object of her or his affection. It's, um, it's a complex um, procedure and a, a complex process which, you know, can, um, you know, make for all sorts of trouble. And I see this constantly, you know, people, especially in, in early recovery, because the addict brain is so uncomfortable and it's with its newfound sobriety it, it's going oh my gosh where where are we going to get our next fix oh look there's a cute guy or girl or so i seen that when i worked in treatment centers and we you know the staff would see a relationship happening before the two people even knew that what was going on just that their addict brains were leading them in this direction because there's nothing like um, you know, the this, this, this self-produced serotonin and dopamine uh, creating a diversion from what's really going on, which is the terrible pain of not having the drug of choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Having to face the void. Exactly, yeah, yeah. What am I going to do with this gaping chasm in front of me? Oh, my gosh, quick, let's let's look for something to divert us from even thinking about that. And um, so, yeah, relationships in early recovery can be disastrous. And, boy, I've seen some um, tragic outcomes. And then, you know, I'll run into someone years later and and... Who I've, who I've worked with in treatment and they say very sheepishly, oh, you were right, you know, I really shouldn't have gotten into that relationship. And um, it's a painful way to, you know, to have to learn how to cope with with that early recovery, you know, the, the rawness of early recovery. It's like people wear their their nerves on the outside of the skin instead of on the inside and so they become ultra sensitive and um, you know it's hard not to hook up with somebody who's batting their eyelashes at you from across the room (laughs) (laughs) well we're we're near the end of our time but I I have another uh, two questions for you one um, is are there people in long-term recovery, I'm guessing yes, but um, from sex and love addiction, and what's what are their lives like? What happens well, if you stay in long-term recovery in this, in sex and love addiction? One of the promises in um, the fellowship called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is the loneliness will subside and we'll enjoy being alone. And I really like that notion. I think that um, that often we hook up 
because we don't know how to be um, alone, how to appreciate those uh, downtimes where where we are completely and utterly alone, and it's only us and our higher power. And so, um, long-term recovery looks a little bit like if you imagine that an alcoholic is able to change from I need alcohol to uh, have fun, to feel okay, to I don't know what the lists. There's a whole bunch of reasons people drink, or, or, or alcoholics drink. Um, and so the sex and love addict will will move from that position of oh my life is so lonely, I'm so um, you know uh, concerned about being on my own to. Um, Actually, I'm fine with this, and I think when when we become fine with ourselves, then we become more attractive to other people. So, so it's about self acceptance. It's about being happy in one's own skin. It's about being um, okay with being alone. So that the so that loneliness turns into. Um, okay alone more than that in fact relishing alone time so working a good program of recovery in from sex and love addiction is about um, learning how to connect with people in a healthy way and that's right across the board it's not just with you know um, a loved one uh, uh, with a with a you know a life partner it's about relationships with family with friends with colleagues learning how to uh, trust that yes I can be vulnerable and I'm not going to be hurt because my boundaries now are well enough established that um, I can expose my soft underbelly and risk intimacy Mm-hmm. Risking intimacy seems to be um, a bit of a catchphrase, I suppose. It's it's about being able to um, show that I uh, can be vulnerable and I will trust that you're not going to stick the knife in. Like right. That. Or if you do, I can handle it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, I'm going to let it um, glance off me as if I've got some sort of protective, you know, gear on that's not going to allow that um, that knife to hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I and you know, I can see there are many parallels in this kind of recovery and um, the Al-Anon type of recovery, where relationships uh, have been you know damaged in the past through addictive process, and then start to heal through. Um, you know that that being able to detach with love, being um, I can't cure it, I can't control it, etc. That that the Al-Anon fellowship um, posits. So, yeah, it's all about relationships. Right. Yep. And just real quick, there are, I believe, I think this is right. And you tell me that there are also family groups in for SLA. There's like SLA family member groups, so that if you have a partner or a family member or friend that you that whose sex and love behavior is creating problems for you that as a family member you can go to a 12 step program for yourself is that correct that they're like SLA absolutely. family groups mm-hmm. absolutely so it's called Essanon and S-Anon. they do um, exactly the same thing that Elanon does help support family members who've been touched by their um, partners or their friends sexual addiction and um, and very, very helpful fellowships. My gosh, it's, um, I think lives have been saved absolutely through those fellowships. So, yep, there is help for family members, definitely. And, um, yeah, and again, very easy to find online. Great. Our time is up. Thank you so much, Bridget. This has been wonderful. It's been really informative and um, helpful and inspiring and uh important talk about a difficult subject so thank you for um, sharing with us and thanks for the work that you're doing really appreciate it it's a pleasure Anna and um, my gosh an hour has never gone so quickly (laughs) I know it went really fast but it's been great to talk to you and again my guest is uh, Bridget 
Wilson and you would like to learn more about her work, go to Solutions Auckland, A-U-C-K-L-A-N-D dot com. So listeners, you have a great week and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.